I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Hey, Pursuit peeps, we are back today and with a really important topic. I've been wanting to address this for some time now, but many coaches and athletes don't want to discuss this publicly because they fear losing their jobs, scholarships, or their spot on the team. Their fear is not unwarranted as many of them have been outright threatened or pressured in some way to stay silent. As a female athlete who has competed at every level of sport and now as a mom of a young female athlete, I'm bringing this topic to light because it is absolutely destroying women's sports and the ability for girls and women to train, compete, and live their lives both fairly and safely. The whole point of creating women's sports was to have fair competition. There is a reason why men and women have different tee boxes in golf, different three-point arcs in basketball, different net heights in volleyball, different hurdle heights in track, different apparatus in gymnastics, and different amounts of required categories in diving. This episode is not to say whether someone's chosen lifestyle is acceptable. It's to expose how biological males are taking opportunities away from biological females in sport. And today we're talking with Riley Gaines. She's a recent graduate from the University of Kentucky where she was on the swim team. She finished her career as a 12-time NCAA All-American, a five-time SEC champion, an SEC record holder in the 200-meter butterfly, and a two-time Olympic trial qualifier. In March of 2022, Riley competed and tied with transgender swimmer Leah Thomas at the Women's NCAA Championships. Now, this was after Leah Thomas competed for three seasons on the men's team at the University of Pennsylvania as Will Thomas. Since directly experiencing the injustice of allowing men in women's sports, Riley has been outspoken on why this issue is blatantly unfair and harmful to females in so many ways. A quick note before we start, I did raise a question during our talk to Riley because I was wondering where safe sport was in all of this. I discovered after the interview that safe sport does not have any authority within the NCAA. So this just really raises so many more questions for me, and maybe it will for you too. If you'd like a free guide on how to stay focused in competition or tips on gaining confidence in your sport, head on over to laurawilkinson.com slash learn and just pick the freebie that you want. That's laurawilkinson.com slash learn. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Riley Gaines, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I'm really excited to talk today. I know. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I, of course, love sharing my testimony and of, you know, I love that stuff as much as I can. So thank you for the opportunity. Well, why don't you give us a little bit of your background, kind of how you initially got into swimming and ultimately wound up at the University of Kentucky? Yes. So I started swimming like most elite athletes um, at a really young age. Um, I began swimming, I believe, at the age of four, which it started off as just summer swim. You know, you're kind of floating around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then by the age of eight, my summer league coach was like, hey, if you stuck to low set like a year round level, you would be really, really great. And so I started swimming year round. And so since then, I really only continued to improve every year. Both of my parents were Division One athletes. Oh, wow. Um, my dad went on to play in the NFL for a while. Yes, sir. I'm very fortunate and genetically blessed <laughs> to come from an athletic family. So that's not to say I don't have talent, but I did work extremely hard. And then it became time eventually to choose a college. Um, and I was blessed to have lots of different opportunities, um, lots of choices. 
I knew I wanted to stay in the SEC. Um, I just love the Southeastern Conference again. My dad playing football at Vanderbilt. It just hit close to home. And so I went on a couple trips. Um, my whole life, I thought I was going to be a Florida Gator. Oh, really? So, <laughs> yes, I went on my trip to Florida. It was sunny. It was awesome. But something about it didn't feel right. And looking back now, I know my path, my journey was totally a bad thing. But I then took a trip to the University of Kentucky and I loved it. I loved the coaches. I loved the team. I loved Lexington. It was close to my hometown of Nashville, Tennessee. And so that's where I made my decision to go. And like I said, I just couldn't be more grateful, especially looking back of my four years there. Well, I love hearing you say that because you didn't have kind of the normal four-year college career. You had a lot of stuff going on starting with COVID (laughs) during your, what, sophomore year? Yes. It's actually a pretty crazy story. Freshman year, that was a lot of adjusting. It took me a minute to kind of get used to the hard training. Like I said, I always worked hard, but this was a different level (laughs) of working hard. I mean, you're practicing in the ladder six hours a day. Mm -hmm. Um, You're lifting weights, which I had never done before. So it took me that full year to really get acclimated and and start improving again. it, It took some time. And so I finally got to the point where I became consistent, I'll say, um, in my nutrition, in my training, in my sleeping. I just became consistent and I felt great about it. But then COVID helps. <laughs> it was about two days before we were supposed to leave for our national championships in March when oh man, the world shut down. So it had felt like your my whole sophomore year, we had worked and worked and worked for two days before what you're working towards the whole year it gets canceled. And so that was, that was pretty devastating. I can't even imagine. Cause I mean, I was at a competition, you know, we were gearing up for Olympic trials and stuff that year. And it was just so surreal. And I, I think some people were already at NCAAs or, or maybe some of the divers were still at their zone, like qualifying meet. And yeah, we were hearing just it getting shut down. Like how, how did you process that? I mean, <laughs> were you guys just devastated? Was it shock? Were you mad? Like how, how did the team feel? It was a mix of emotions, and I'm sure you totally understand this being an athlete yourself. When you first hear of it, it's kind of like, okay, I don't think at first we really realized the caliber of which COVID would take our country by, I mean, the world, but our country by hold. Because at this point, it had felt like this was something that was only in China. The U.S. wasn't worrying about it. But when it happened, it was kind of this at first, like, excitement almost, like, bro, oh my gosh, this is new. We never have time off of swimming. This will be pretty cool. (laughs) But then it kind of sets in like, wait, we were robbed. Like you get in this, this everyday motion of swimming, practicing, but then when that's taken away from you, Mm -hmm. you just want to go back and swimming, just like diving. It's not a sport that you're ever really gifted time off. Right. And so when we had no pools around us, that was fair. And so I, like I said, I'm from Tennessee where there are an abundance of lakes. <laughs> so every day I put on a wetsuit and went swimming in the lake, which Did I'm- Did you really? I'm, <laughs> yes, that was my my only option to continue staying in shape, which I'm extremely grateful for now because when we were finally able to come back, I was miles ahead in terms of my training capacity than the rest of my teammates and really the rest on our conference in the NCAA. And I think it's definitely because I was able and disciplined enough to continue training at whatever capacity that might have looked like. 
For sure. I mean, and I feel like that's kind of what COVID did. It split athletes and, and just people in general, like kind of into two camps. One group that was like in denial or just didn't want to have anything to do with it and kind of maybe got depressed or just, you know, sat in the sorrows. And that was easy to do. I mean, I felt like that way at times for sure. But then there was this other crew, you know, that was like, we are going all in. We're going to come back stronger when this thing lifts, like we're going to be ready. And you were in that crew. That is so cool. Right. Thank you. So did you guys start back up your junior year like normal? Like was it kind of after summer, was everything settling back in or? It was relatively normal in terms of what our training looked like. But what was not normal was the testing every single week, the push to get your vaccine every single day, the mask on the pull deck, which is so silly because you would you were you were allowed to keep your mask off, of course, when you're swimming. But then as soon as you had got out of the water, mask on, or else it resulted in some sort of repercussion. And so it just felt like this experience that we weren't supposed to be having. When you think of your college years, granted, being an athlete, it's a little different, but you think of fun and you think of these exciting times that you'll never have again in your life. But what we were dealing with was just honestly miserable (laughs) it was just yeah guidelines and rules and precautions and it just felt so restricting and I know that's that's not anything special to me and my team everyone experienced yeah right it was happening everywhere and so of course it felt like we arrived my sophomore year but my full junior year it just still felt like we were missing out on what we were not supposed to be missing out on which was fun and opportunities Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine like the extracurriculars, like the team bonding and hanging out after, were you guys even allowed to do that? No. And that, I feel like that's really important, especially for the freshmen coming in. You want to create this team culture. I think that's what helped our team thrive at Kentucky is we had this amazing culture. But when you're not able to really spend time with one another, get to know each other, treat each other like a family outside of just the couple of hours at a time you're at practice it's really really hard to develop that relationship and so there were a couple of times where we thought we were being sneaky and we would say okay let's just host something at our house with the team and we went to the coaches <laughs> and of course they found out and of course we got in trouble and so it was hard to maintain that positive mindset that full year really Mm-hmm. How So how did that affect you, you think, competing, like leading up to SECs and NCAAs that year? Because you, you actually performed really well that year. Yeah. And I like I said, I think that's a lot in part because I came in shape. I wasn't someone who spent three or four months out of the water, like the majority, 95% of people were had to do. And so, but to answer your question, I felt like personally, I am someone who's pretty mentally driven. I don't like to give up. I don't like to lose. Like most athletes, I'm really competitive. And so I felt just this hunger for success and not just for myself, for my team. And so that year at SCCs, I was our team captain as um, my junior year. And so, and along with the other two twin captains, I really wanted to create this winning mindset. And so we went into our SEC championships and just, it was evident on the pool deck within our swim team, within our dive team, we just set ourselves apart without even looking at the results from, you know, of course, our races and our our dives. We were this team that had such a force. And it was our first year in school history at UK winning an SEC title. Oh, wow. Which was, yes, it was just the most, probably my favorite 
experience from R of college. And then a couple of weeks later, we went on to place in the top 10 at NCAAs, which is an amazing accomplishment. And so we were that team. Um, like you said, these teams kind of went two separate ways, but we really used that time, all of these disadvantages that we had to our advantage. And so that's something I'm really proud of. Well, I love that. And I, I like that that was your your mindset and leading the team that way, too, because a, a lot of times, especially if somebody's not as strong on their own, when they have something bigger than themselves to fight for, there's a bigger purpose, they can do extraordinary things. So giving the team like as as the captains coming together and giving your team kind of that feeling and that vibe. And that's, that's just so cool. I can see why that's maybe one of your favorite memories from college. That's awesome. Yes. Well, so going into your senior year, I mean, you had made Olympic trial cuts and everything. I, I'm sure going into your senior year, you were I, like, what were you expecting? Maybe I should just not put words in your mouth, but what were you expecting your your final year? So the year prior, my junior year, um, in NCAA championships, I did pretty well. I placed in, I believe, sixth or seventh in the country in the 200 freestyle, which at the time was my best event. And so I, of course, wanted to place higher the next year. And we had a lot of people in that field who placed higher than me who graduated. And so I had truly made it my goal to win a national title. And it wasn't something that was out of reach. I had continued progressing. I was doing phenomenal. And by the time it got to about the middle of our season in my senior year, so actually it was about November in 2021, I was right on track. I was ranked, I believe, second in the country in the 200 freestyle. And so I knew I was capable of winning that national title. But then <laughs> the person I was ranked behind, I had never heard of before. I was like, wow, this is really bizarre. And so just looking at this on paper, it was a senior who out of nowhere, their senior year posted the fastest times in the nation and multiple events by multiple seconds which was bizarre because like in most sports, and I'm sure you can attest to this, your top level athletes know of each other, um, regardless of where you're competing in the country, um, regardless of which school you're at, because you've grown up competing against each other. Mm -hmm. But when I hadn't heard of this person before, um, I was like, this is super interesting. What a weird situation. And so especially coming from a school like UPenn, that's not typically a historically fast swimming school. You know, you have your Texas school, um, Stanford, Virginia, all of these places that typically produce fast swimmers where maybe it wouldn't have been as big of a, a flag, but from you pin someone their senior year, post times and, and sprint events being the fastest and the mile being the fastest, there was so much that wasn't adding up. Mm -hmm. um, and this was the first time that I became aware of Leah Thomas um, and a lot of people around the country listening to this podcast, I'm sure have heard that name by now. But like I said, at this point, I didn't know who this was. And so it wasn't until a couple of weeks later after posting these nation leading times, an article was posted disclosing that Leah Thomas was formerly Will Thomas and swam three years on the men's side at UPenn. Mm. Now, what happens in your brain when you hear that or when you read that? When I heard it the first time, honestly, it was this feeling of relief because I was like, oh, you know, this makes total sense now like it just felt like it kind of all clicked together and by no means was I expecting this to be the rationale behind it and so when I found it out I was like oh okay makes sense um there's no way the NCAA would actually allow Leah Thomas to compete with the women at NCAAs because at this point when you look up Will Thomas you see where Will Thomas was ranking as a male 
And you see that this was not a lateral movement by any means in terms of rankings. Mm-hmm. When Leo was Will Thomas, Will was ranking 500, 600s at best in the nation in the male category. And then to be ranked first in multiple events in the women's category, you think to yourself, well, I have the information for someone to see that this is obviously unfair. It was right in front of us. And so my, my initial election was kind of like the sense of relief. So you just kind of assumed in the back of your head, like, that makes sense. I get I get why this person is now on the leaderboard, but surely they're not going to compete at NCs. Or did you, were you concerned at all? At first, I really wasn't because it made no, like, there was no way in my mind that you could look at this and think it was okay. Even someone with, I mean, a little kid knows biological men are more advantageous than women in sports. Um, And that's not to say one sex is inferior or not capable of amazing things. Women are, of course, strong and have done phenomenal things. There's phenoms in so many sports across swimming. But of course, that's in relation to your physical capabilities that your body has. And so I, I truly like it didn't even cross my brain. Did you talk to your coach at all about it? Yes, of course. He knew it was my goal of winning a national title. And that's something that he wants for me. We were definitely on the same page. My coach is like my best friend still even graduating in may we talk almost every day (laughs) i could not have had a better relationship with him and he was very supportive of me and my stance 99 percent of my teammates stance and so we were very much on the same page and neither one of us thought much of it when it was happening so was there like any plan going forward or there was just kind of an assumption that the authorities or the regulators or what, whatever you want to call them would would handle it? Yeah, until about a month or so out from our NCAA championships, actually maybe a little longer than that, the NCAA announced, oh, well, we're just going to follow USA Swimming guidelines. And USA Swimming was like, well, if we're going to follow IOC guidelines. And so there was this obvious lack of accountability and lack of leadership in terms of creating these worlds. No one wanted to be responsible for it because it's a controversial issue, which it shouldn't be, but people have made it that way. And so everyone was looking to one another for answers and for these guidelines that should be put in place. And so it really wasn't until about two or three weeks before we competed that the NCAA finally said, Leah Thomas will be competing against the females. And so how did you feel about that? Honestly, there was a bit of intriguement because this is something that happened so suddenly and so unexpectedly. It was kind of like, okay, well, what is this going to look like? There wasn't a lot of information other than, you know, statistics like times and stuff posted about Leah Thomas. Like, how tall is this person? Are we going to have to change in the locker room Was this with this person? Do they have male parts? Like, there was kind of this little bit of curiosity and it wasn't necessarily a positive curiosity but like what is this we're gonna have to go through right and out of those questions were very much answered for us when we get there that very first day you know you get there a couple days before you compete you're swimming you're training you go back to the hotel nap you come back to train just really getting acclimated to the pool the environment um when we get there that first day and the language typically is the place of of just buzzing chatter and laughter, especially a swimming or and diving locker room where mm-hmm. 
you don't feel this sense of it, it's it's just not a modest environment, let's say. Um, <laughs> typically, you spend half your life half naked anyways in a bathing suit. And so you're just kind of used to the swimming locker room being a place where you don't have to worry about cuddling up. But that first day when we were in the locker room and you see your friends from all over and it's exciting and it's it's loud, but you turn around and it's silent. I turn around and there's a 6'4 biological man undressing who still has full male parts. And that for me is when it really set in like, whoa, this is really, really wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, how did, okay, was there any buzz on the pool deck about that? Like, I mean, were the girls upset? Were the coaches upset? Were parents upset? Was anybody saying anything at that point? Yeah, and definitely tagging emotes to my team at this point. It was funny, kind of, I say funny, but it was each day the chatter kind of spread. Think of it as something like the COVID virus. It starts in one place and then it spread. And so the first day you're talking with your closest friends on your team, like, oh my gosh, like, did you see this? This just happened. Oh my gosh. But then each day it just spreads. And by the end of it, we were out talking amongst ourselves, talking to our coaches, talking to our parents, but still no one was actually saying anything. We were talking amongst ourselves, but that's kind of how it was. But I can tell you, there's no one I talked to on that pill black who was okay with the situation, especially the locker room scenario. I can't, I mean, as a parent now, like, I mean, as an athlete, I, I can't imagine walking through that situation. I can't imagine my dad being okay with that situation. Oh gosh. And as a parent now, like if my daughter who is in sports, like was in that situation, I mean, I feel like I would be jumping the fence to the pool deck to like, exactly. you know what I mean? Like, I, so yes. it's shocking to me that like nothing like coaches were not like saying anything to authorities or parents weren't confronting authorities like I know were, were people just shocked you think I think so I think it just felt like there was nothing you could do since it was already happening in the moment and no one no appropriate action had been taken up until that point by the NCAA who allowed this I guess you kind of just cut your losses <laughs> but to me I was just like I felt like I was missing something like it felt like okay is there something I'm not gathering like why is this happening why were we not forewarned right why were we not told that we were going to be sharing this private space so other accommodations could be made it was just like it was totally normal and so I felt like I was wrong for thinking it was wrong <laughs> like this this raises so many red flags in my head especially with all this safe sport training we have to go through right as an athlete as an athlete over 18 as a parent as a coach you have to go through all this safe sport training that talks about emotional abuse and verbal abuse and being put in situations and grooming and things that you you know like there are so many protective mechanisms supposedly in place but yet nothing happened here and, and i can't imagine Leah Thomas feeling great about the situation either because I'm, I'm sure right. <laughs> I'm sure Leah knew everyone was talking about it and probably a lot of people were uncomfortable. I can't imagine Leah was comfortable with it. I I just yeah, I'm I'm kind of in shock of how little happened, <laughs> you know, exactly me too. And I, I had talked with my coaches, you know, like, hey, what do we do about this? And they had no answer. No one had an answer of what to do. And so I think 
initially that was the problem is no one knew who to go to which is now looking back i'm realizing that's a sorry excuse yeah that's not okay well and i can't i mean i can't expect 18 to 22 year olds to necessarily know i, w- I would expect some to make a bit of a stink like did, did people stop using the locker rooms at all well, not that I really know of because there was, because it's an half female meet. Right. There was no other accommodations that Leah did not have access to that other women did. Gotcha. So there was no, there was nothing in place that would have prevented a, or allowed, I guess, a safe space for real women to change clothes privately. Right. Oh, man. I just, yeah. Sorry. I'm like shaking. That makes me so upset. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't even imagine. I like, know. Yeah. And me, I am married, and so I, my husband. Were you were you married at that time? Were you engaged? We actually got engaged like the day after NCAA's. So, Aww, congratulations! Yes, thank you. And you're married now, though, yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah, that's so awesome. Um, but my husband, my boyfriend at the time, he's in the bleachers. He doesn't want to. You know, he's not okay with the fact that I'm changing with a man, and a man is exposing himself to me, and we're being exposed to that. My dad, like I said, who's this really large NFL football player, (laughs) very big guy, like that's not something he's going to take very well. He, like you said, wanted to handle it himself. (laughs) And I'm like, Dad, Mm -hmm. you just can't do that. This is something that needs to be handled by the correct people or else it will get the wrong response. And so, see, then this is this is concerning to me as well, because now you've got the athletes who are stuck in this situation are now asking the people who are trying to look out for them to not say anything because and I'm sure this is part of it, because I have talked to some other athletes and coaches who do not want to speak up and they were told to not say anything. They were you know, they're worried about losing their jobs. They're worried about losing scholarships, losing spots on the team, worried about, you know, I want to go to grad school. I'm afraid if I speak out, I will lose my opportunities. So. Is that, I mean, is that part of it? Were you afraid if somebody spoke up, you would get ousted from the meet? For sure. Especially looking back now and having now had these conversations with athletes across the NCAA at different schools, realizing, which I'm fortunate my coach never tried to silence me. My athletic department never tried to silence me. But talking with these other girls, the amount of silencing and the amount of emotional blackmail and just threatening and intimidation that these schools and these administrations put on these girls is mind-blowing. So not only is this now an issue of, you know, allowing trans people to compete in the women's category, this is an issue of freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. The people on Leah Thomas's team who I've now talked to at great lengths who tell me thank you immensely for using my platform because they're still scared and they they tell me you know this is something we dealt with every single day but those girls that you pinned when they were inquiring about the lacrim situation and when they had problems with it i actually have an email that their administration sent to them that said if you feel uncomfortable seeing male genitalia here are some counseling resources that you should seek and they were referred to the lgbtq press education center to educate themselves on the oppression that these athletes have to go through wow and their suicide rates and so they're left with thinking that they're responsible they're the problem yes and so just realizing all of that they're told they'll never get into grad school if you speak up their school has made their stance for them all of these different things that are so, so wrong and such a problem with really letting the majority of the country be heard in this topic. 
this is a massive level of abuse in my in my opinion. Oh, it's yes. <laughs> wow. Well, okay, well, I could keep talking about that for probably hours, but let's let's kind of get to more like on the pool deck. Um, yes. As much as as much as infuriating as that <laughs> that topic is, you initially watched Leah just destroy everyone in the 500 free. Like what was going through your mind watching that performance knowing that that your 200 free is coming up after that? It was just this feeling of heartbreak that morning. So, of course, you compete in the morning and you have to clarify top 16 to make finals. And so Leah, of course, clarified in the top eight in the morning to swim and the top heat at night. And so I'm standing on the pool deck beside this girl who I had no idea who she was. Um, she swam for Virginia Tech. Her name is Reka. And so I'm standing beside her and she had just finished her heat. And so she was watching the last heat as they compete to see if she made it in the top 16. And the last heat touches, she looks up at the board and just tears and she says, I just placed 17th, which meant that she missed out on becoming an All-American, having that spot in finals. Um, But she said, I just got or came in 16th place and someone beat me and they didn't even have to try because that's truly what it looked like. Leah Thomas was not even having to try to go the fastest time in the field. Um, and you could tell that you don't have to know anything about swimming. Just watching the video, you can you can see the discrepancies between Leah Thomas's stroke as a biological male versus all of the women in that field. And that's not a scrubby field. These were Olympians. These are American record holders. These are the fastest females of all time. But Leah beat them with ease. And so that night, watching it happen, watching Leah Thomas win a national title it just felt like a slap in the face um it just felt like no matter what we did to get to that point in regards to training all of the sacrifices you make all of the time you put in it is not enough and it won't be enough because there's a male who can who can do that with ease Mm. what was the reaction from the crowd like when leah won Honestly, this was the first day. And like I said, it kind of progressed day by day. And so this this first day of competition, it was kind of just like silence. Like it was just like jaws were just kind of dropped. Like just surreal. I'm we sure, knew it yeah. was going to happen. Yes. Yes. We knew Leo was most likely going to win. I mean, unless Leah just totally tanked it. Uh, we knew Leah would win. But watching it happen, it just felt like we had time traveled back to the 1970s when before Title IX was created. And I know that's a bit dramatic, but truly it is. It felt like we were giving our awards and our our, our titles to a man to validate their feelings and to validate their own identity. Right. Well, so, I mean, coming up, was it a day or two later that you had the 200 free? What day was that? Yes, that was the next day, actually. So you made finals and so did Leah. Yes. You were gunning for your national title. I know you said you had been building up for and but like like the 500 free. I mean, that means another female is not in the finals. Another female is not in the semifinals. So they're losing all American honors. They're losing points for their team. Yes. All that kind of changes hands. I, I mean, when you're walking into finals, like was there ever any talk between you and the other swimmers and finals of like, not swimming or of of doing anything or was that even I mean did you even think to do something like that was that even yeah it definitely was and it's something I talked with my parents and my coaches about like hey really I want to take a stance like this is something I'm not okay with and I want to take a stance but I don't want to 
lose out on opportunities that I've worked so hard for and if it's not worth it. And so it was trying to find this balance of if I don't compete, will it be worth it? If I get on that block, they say, take your mark, go, and I stand there. Is that something that will make some sort of, I mean, will that do anything? It's hard trying to navigate this. And so I talked to the NCAA official, actually. Um, I asked him, I said, okay, remember, uh, what happens if I don't swim? He says, honestly, it's next person up. We will have someone who would gladly take your place. And so wow. then it's like, <laughs> I don't want to give up my opportunity, my spot for someone else to just have it just and make no sort of statement, right? Statement. Yes. And so what I decided I would do is I would swim, but I'm not getting on the podium. That's what I was going to do. I thought that would make a statement. I'm not accepting this trophy. I thought that would be fair enough. I still got to compete, see what I could do because I didn't want to do this for, you know, not to be selfish or whatever, but I had worked so hard. Right. Um, my team, I didn't want to have to forfeit points when we're trying to be a top 10 team. Um, not having that swim is a, is a huge loss. And so I decided I would stand, but not get on the podium. But <laughs> God had different plans because upon swimming, Leah Thomas and I touched the wall at the exact same time. Which does not happen very often <laughs> in swimming. <laughs> no, that's pretty rare, especially in an event like a 200 where it's a little longer. Mm-hmm. To go the same time down to the hundredth of a second is pretty wild. And so I touched the wall. And before I even look at my own name, I look at Leah's name. Did Leah win? And so I see the number by Leah's name. And then I'm like, okay, I'll look at my name. And I see my name and I'm like, Looking back and forth, I think I'm confused because my heart rate's high. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm disoriented. <laughs> no, they they both said the same number. And so I was like, oh my gosh, we tied. This is crazy. And so all of these thoughts are going through my head. And I'm like, okay, well, I had said I'm not going to get on the podium. But now do I get on the podium to show the difference between Leah Thomas, who stands at 6'4", versus myself, who's five foot five? Like, <laughs> do I do this to do some sort of... Is this something that can be beneficial to really show the difference? And so all of these thoughts are going through my head. But after you finish, you get kind of marched out on this podium where you hold with your trophy. But we go behind the awards podium where they kind of get you in order. And the NCAA official looks at me and says, great job. You guys tied. We don't really account for ties. So I'm like, okay, I understand like. I, I know there's not going to be two. We, we tied for fifth place. I said, I know there's not going to be two fifth place trophies. But he looked at me and he said, okay, but we're going to give it to Leah. He says, you will go home empty handed, but we'll eventually mail you one. Don't worry. And I say, okay, <laughs> I know we tied. I know there's one trophy, but can I ask you, why are you adamant on giving this trophy to Leah? And clearly this was a situation they weren't prepared for because he says, oh, well, we're just doing this in chronological order. And I say, okay, I further press him. And all my, all the people are around me. And this is the furthest anyone has pressed the NCAA about this matter, honestly. And so I further press him. I say, okay, but what are you being chronological about? Because correct me if I'm wrong, we, we went the same time. And he says, well, for photo purposes, Leah has to have the trophy. Has to. You can pose with this one, but you have to give it back. And that is truly, I mean, the locker room situation hit me, but when we were reduced, when we as female athletes were reduced to a photo op, I was like, truly, like it just came in waves of like, 
what in the world is happening? And so I'm kind of not necessarily throwing a fit, but I'm looking at this man, this official, and I tell and I, I ask him, I'm like, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? You're going to give this biological man a woman's trophy at a women's event. And Leah's <laughs> sitting right beside me listening. And I'm going off on him a little bit. It just kind of hit me. Um, it was at this moment that I realized not only are we being forced to compete against men and change in a locker room with men, we were being sidelined to men. Mm. Did Leah say anything? Nothing. Did Leah say anything throughout like the whole meet or? No. Pretty quiet the whole time. Pretty quiet the entirety of the meet, at least from what I could tell. Mm -hmm. There was another trans athlete at the meet competing, which I think this is really important. And I think this is something the media has really done a terrible job of covering. But we had another trans athlete at the meet who swam for Yale, who identified as a male, biologically female, grew up as a girl. But had a double mastectomy, swam completely topless, and went by heat him. His name is Isaac, but was swimming with the girls. And so it just didn't make sense. If we were, of course, basing this off gender identity, like the NCAA had said we need to do, then why do we have someone competing in our category who's a he, him? It just didn't make sense. Um, but I think that's crucial in showing that it's the women's category that's at jeopardy, not the men's category. Um, and of course, the reason this athlete did this is because they never would have qualified for men's NCAAs. Right. So it does make sense because it's easier for these people to win in the women's group. So, I mean, that exactly it does make sense. I mean, if you look at diving as well, I mean, the guys do an entire extra dive on their events than we do. Like they do an extra category. Um, they're doing an extra flip compared to what most women are doing. Like I pushed the boundaries back in 2008 and was doing some of what they were doing. And I was an anomaly. And and now the girls are doing even less than they were in 2008. So, I mean, and, and the guys have continued to skyrocket. Like it's a completely different. Wow. You look at high diving and the women are only allowed to go off 20 meters and the men go off 27 meters. Like there's different, you know, hurdle heights for things. There's different adjustments and categories for different sports, men versus women, because of anatomy and biology and all of those things like that. The reason Title IX was enforced, you know, is because to make it more of a fair playing field for men and women. It just it does make sense. Just nobody wants to talk about it. Exactly. And that's the problem. And this person now who goes by Isaac has now was a phenomenal female swimmer, finished in the top eight, which is, again, a huge accomplishment, but now is competing against the men and finishes nearly dead last every single time as one of the best female swimmers in the country, competing against the men, regardless of how good you are as a female, is finishing at the bottom. Right. I mean, well, what do you think about the FINA ruling that they made later that summer um, about uh, it's kind of, I think they say that a, a male wanting to keep meat in female events can't have experienced puberty as a male or like has to have transitioned by age 12 or something like that. What, what do you think about that ruling? I think it's a great first step. Um, FINA was really the first organization to have an opposing view as the NCAA had. And since then there has been some sports fouling, so I think it was a bold first movement. We needed someone to do that. Of course, I think there are flaws in their guidelines. Um, there's some things that definitely need to be improved. 
to even remotely suggest the idea of transitioning before the age of 12 is absolutely wild to me because no 12-year-old could possibly understand the implications of life-altering no. surgeries and suppression and hormones and things like that. And so... no. I have two 11-year-olds that can't figure out what lunch should be for the next day. Like, they don't know what what permanency is at all. No. Exactly. But I think that that's so absurd that very few people would do it, that it's a bold first step. Um, we Again, that needed to be done. While, of course, I do think there should definitely be some changes that aren't encouraging right. 12-year-olds to... <laughs> change their lives or parents to encourage kids to make drastic decisions right right exactly but then you have other organizations like fifa or u.s rowing or other large baddies that govern these sports who are going the opposite way who basically or who do say um, wherever you identify is where you can compete and where you can align yourself and so obviously that transitioning spectrum is huge but all you have to do to compete as a female is say you are a female which yeah obviously (laughs) there's lots of problems there especially in sports like soccer where you have to worry about your safety right swimming i was fortunate we were fortunate because we we didn't necessarily have to worry about physical contact right but in sports like soccer or rugby that's been huge or all of these contact sports that are going the opposite way, someone will, I mean, mean, people have, look at what happened to that poor volleyball player in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. You will get hurt. So that brings in a whole nother issue. Well, in 2021, World Rugby Guidelines banned trans athletes. Did they reverse that? Because it was due to safety. Yeah, I actually think rugby has been on the forefront of it and it's because they had problems. Right. So that's pretty exciting. Um, I know international or um, rugby. I think some places in England had some major problems with rugby. And so they actually have been pretty good about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Well, what what do you suggest that people do? Like if, if athletes and coaches are afraid to speak out, like what can they do? Yeah, this is hard because there has to be a line of when you're willing to like people have to be willing to take sacri- make sacrifices which is something I realized because I was in that position where I was looking to other people I wanted someone else to be the one to speak out but since speaking out I've now realized one how liberating it is there's no better feeling than being able to freely express yourself and have so much support that's another thing is I think people think which they're they're made to believe that If you speak out, you will receive hate. You will be called transphobic. You will be a bigot. All of these things, which of course you, there is some flack, but the amount of support I've had in comparison is tenfold. And it's people, Olympians. It's the most incredible accomplished people who are privately messaging me saying, thank you so much. I agree with you so much. I'm not allowed to speak up because of my sponsorships or because of my boss or because of this and this. But I could not agree with you more. Thank you so much. Even this past week when I I was down in San Antonio for the NCAA convention, and we spoke with Mark Emmert, who, of course, is the NCAA president, who doubled down in his stance of allowing Leah Thomas to compete against us by saying um, they unequivocally stand by their decision because it's based in evolving science and all of this this baloney. Um, But talking with him this week, 
he told me he agreed with my stance and that he supports me. And I'm like, you're the one who let this happen. What do you mean you agree with me? And so people have to be willing to be a leader. There's so much, especially in this culture we live in, of people following, which I understand it is scary. We live in this cancer culture where you'll get canceled for literally anything. But if someone wants to cancel me for saying there are two sexes, you can't change your sex, and women deserve respect and equal opportunities, then go right ahead. (laughs) I've learned to be secure enough with myself that that's okay with me. Well, and I know you you have had a lot of backlash and a lot of of hate um, and some pretty horrendous things said about you and on your you know social media and stuff. But how how do you res- do you respond to that? How do you feel about that? Because I mean, people get bullied online, you know, and and commit suicide. Like how how have you stood up against that? Because the stuff that has been said to you and about you is pretty horrendous. So how do you take that in stride? Like, yeah, you make it sound like it's no big deal. But I think a lot of people would have a really hard time with with seeing and hearing what you've experienced. Yeah. And that's something I definitely have have to put into perspective, because I have always grown up just someone I, I stand firm in my convictions, um, regardless of what realm that might be in. I'm just not one who is going to stray from what I think, even if it means I lose out on something or anything along those lines. And so I've always been someone who's pretty firm um, and secure. But what I've realized about these people who say these things about me is they're just insecure themselves. To spend time telling someone you hope they die and that they're such a terrible person and they're solely responsible for all these trans people committing suicide it just speaks more about them than it does me because i know myself i know that i'm not transphobic and i'm not even going to try to defend that because you know at, at this point i almost feel like it's kind of an accomplishment to be called it's an achievement to be called a bigot or whatever i'm like okay whatever that word to me is like in one ear out of the other so I don't know. I, I It does take some learning. I've, I've definitely had to turn my notifications off on Twitter, especially. There's people who are just relentless. But I know myself. I know what I'm trying to accomplish. And it's it's not that I have any animosity towards Leah Thomas. Leah was just following the rules that were set in place. Mm-hmm. It's the NCAA I have a problem with. You can live your life how you want. It doesn't mean I'm going to support it. It doesn't mean that I'm going to follow you in that way, but I can't control someone and I would never want to control someone in that way. And so I've learned to kind of just roll with the punches and realize how much more support I I truly do have. It really is an abundance more support than any hate. I love that. And I think kind of relating all of this back to sports, because I feel like sports is such a perfect like analogy or metaphor for life, you know, in so many things that we do. And kind of like you said, we we just kind of assume people are going to do something about it for us. And my coach has always told me this. He's always said, Laura, look, I can tell you everything you need to know. I can teach you everything that I know. I can tell you exactly how to do this. I can even hold your hand all the way to the edge of the platform. But you're the one who has to jump. Exactly. Like you have to take the risk. And so like when I when I throw my body off a three story building and do a bunch of flips, like sometimes it goes really wrong and I have to risk that. You know, I've I've been hurt pretty bad. You know, I've I've had neck surgery. I've had a lot of things done, you know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've been through the gamut. Like you can get really hurt doing these things, but 
to us, it's worth the risk because of what we're trying to achieve beyond that. And I think for the athletes, the parents, the coaches, administrators, whoever is standing silent right now, but feels passionately about this, you have got to understand that if you do nothing, you're going to lose everything. Exactly. But if you are willing to risk a little bit to help everyone, you know, to help women in sports, like continue to be women in sports, like you have got to stand up and say something. We cannot be silent any longer. And that, that goes from athletes all the way up through parents, administrators, everybody has got to start speaking out. Exactly. And that's something I realized again at this NCAA convention. We had a booth, this table we got to set up. Of course, when the NCAA approved it, they didn't know what we were going to be talking about or else they wouldn't have approved it. But I have these athletic directors and university presidents, really important people who are involved in the process of allowing this to happen, whether that be voting or whatever that might look like. It's so mind-blowing. How I told you I talked to Mark Emmer and he agreed with me. Every single athletic director that we talked to at that convention said, hey, I am 100% on board with you. It's just like, then why are we not implementing this? Mm-hmm. Why are we all straying from this? It, it's just eye-opening. It's mind-boggling, actually. Why are we catering to not even half a percent of the population at the expense of women make up, what, 51% of the world, I think? Right. Why are we catering to this half a percent at the expense of 51%? Mm-hmm. So it is. It's just getting everyone on the same page. But I think, I truly think that people are opening their eyes. I'm I'm remaining hopeful. I sure hope so. I, what Now, what organizations are you involved with right now that you're, because you, you've said you've taken a year off, you're going to go to dental school, but you're kind of taking a year off to really kind of help this movement start. Like, who are you working with right now? Yes, I'm actually working with Independent Women's Forum. That's an organization that really has been at the forefront of this issue Since this happened back in March of 2022, they have continuously provided me with opportunities and resources and support, whether that be in media or writing op-eds or even at state legislative levels in passing legislature that will stop this from happening. They have just been phenomenal. And so I have come on with them as a spokeswoman in a way where I'm basically continuing what I'm doing continuing to share my experience well it's more than just my experience so many female athletes experience who of course aren't able to use their voices or are scared and I'm, I'm kind of working right now at the state and federal level to get as many states to pass a fairness in women's sports type bill as well as keeping title nine written for what title IX was created to protect um, of course we had the biden administration who was actively trying to rewrite title nine which is bigger than just sports at that point, because that means men could room with women in dorms and could do nothing about it. Um, they would take our educational awards as well as as within sports. And so so it's been just really phenomenal because, like I mentioned earlier, I'm someone who I'm not going to sit and complain about something and do nothing about it. I think it's useless. If you're not willing to take action, then, I mean you're kind of at a loss. You have to be willing to do something. And so Independent Women's Forum has just been fantastic in allowing me to do that. That's awesome. Well, Riley, we really appreciate you coming on today. Where can people follow you online um, and get behind you and support the things that you are talking about? 
Yes. Um, so my Twitter actually was banned <laughs> oh, no. for saying that there are two sexes. Oh, man. But I created a new Twitter and it's Riley underscore Gaines underscore. Twitter is honestly, I know a lot of people don't think Twitters are a super reliable source, but that's a place where I get a lot of breaking stories on this topic. It's happening at an alarming rate. Um, it actually has infiltrated into diving. Um, and I've been sworn to not expose this person because they're very terrified of speaking out. But I had a diver reach out to me who they now have a trans woman competing in a D3 school um, and is taking opportunities away from women. I think I thought you would maybe find that to be interesting. I didn't know that. We'll have to talk after we're we're done talking on here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Twitter's a great place to get breaking stories on this. There's lots of accounts I follow like Icons which stands for International Council on Women's Sports. They're always posting things. And I think it's really, really important to stay up to date on this topic, because if not, you're kind of fell into this, believing this lie that this is this is a non-issue. Um, this is something the Republicans just want to be hateful about. But that's not true. Um, I actually think that's what makes this issue so special. Is it something that no parent, regardless of where you align politically, wants their daughter to right. be exposed but I also have Instagram, and that would be Riley G. Barker. I know. Do we have to start calling you Barker now? I didn't even ask. Should, okay, do you want to be Riley Gaines or Riley Gaines Barker? You know, that's been really tough for me. <laughs> I um, of course, when I go by my new name, I just love it. I love being married. It's been so fun, but I'm kind of like, I feel like since speaking up, I'm kind of just known as Riley Gaines, and not that that's super renowned or a known name, but it just feels like it's my name. <laughs> Girl, it's early enough. You can do whatever you want there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, Riley Gaines Barker, thank you for coming on with us. We really appreciate you being vulnerable and open and, and really courageous for standing up and speaking out for so many women. Well, thank you so much. Um, opportunities like this are what continues shedding light. And so I'm extremely grateful for you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week. 